Welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, my compadre, my sufferer of technological mishaps, Jason Ziak. Jay, how are you? I'm keeping my chin up. We're having all sorts of technical difficulties with our recording this uh, episode, so we're just going to roll through it. We're just going to... Steamroll it. We've got a review of a our first suggested uh, review that uh, we didn't come up with on our, on our own. Really? It actually came off of uh, uh, the DoneWaiting.com message board. DoneWaiting is a Columbus-based music website that covers the local music scene, but also does you know national stuff too. And um, I posted some info about the podcast, and somebody said, "Hey." I've got an album you should review, and they're from Ohio, and they're called Sons of Elvis. So I dug out the uh, Sons of Elvis album, gave it to you, and we're going to do a review of it. How's that sound? It sounds pretty good. Uh, (laughs) Who suggested this? Do you remember? This was suggested, I don't know the person's name, they go by the username Spine of Teeth. All right. Which might be a band, too. I think that might be their band name. Wow. And I think that their band played with Valiant Thor. Well, I wish that uh, Sons of Elvis sound more like Valiant Thor or a band called Spines of Teeth. But we'll get to that in a moment. We'll get to that. So, Sons of Elvis, they were from Cleveland. They existed from the years 1988 to 1995. Uh, they were a three-piece they moved from Cleveland to New York City to go to college and attend Fordham University. After a bidding war, which was you know, all the rage in the 90s when it came to alternative rock bands, they signed to a label called American Empire, which went out of business before the record even was released. Usually, <laughs> labels would overspend on, a, on an album and then they would have no money to promote it. This one actually lost or ran out of money before the album even came out. So, in a stroke of brilliance, the band signed to Priority Records. Do you know why that's an odd thing, Jay? I certainly don't. Because Priority Records was the home of such acts as Ice Cube, NWA, and Eazy-E. Yes, Priority Records was a rap label. What the crap? Yeah, and Priority Records decided in um, 1995, 94-95-ish, that they were going to have a rock uh, distribution arm of the label and they signed Sons of Elvis uh, Magna Pop and a little band called the Goo Goo Dolls Uh, actually they didn't sign them but they distributed Hold Me Up which was uh, Metal Blade was the label that was actually signed to but it was distributed through Priority that was a completely dead label within a year and the album that we're reviewing which is the only album by Sons of Elvis which is called Glowdine um, pretty much disappeared. They did have one single called Formaldehyde, which got a little bit of airplay and a video. Interesting note about this, the album is produced by a man by the name of Mr. Colson, who apparently has no first name, he's just Mr. Colson, who also produced the album Dragline by Paw, which we just reviewed. The single Formaldehyde got a little bit of MTV play and then was also on the soundtrack to the uh, movie Higher Learning. It made it to 20, number 23 on the Billboard Top Heat Seeker chart. And that's it. That's all the information we have about <laughs> Sons of Elvis. What, el- so, what year did this album come out? Uh, 
this album came out in 95, officially. Okay. There's also a, uh, a pre-release album, which was called Mrs. White, which was basically all the tracks from, from Glodine. But I don't know. I'm not sure if they were on in different sequence or, or what exactly. But I don't know, a lot of these things, because it was prior to people keeping track of everything on Wikipedia, they're a little nefar- they're a little um, nebulous in terms of their information. So thank God for Wikipedia. We can keep yeah. all this nonsense straight. <laughs> so let's get to the record, Jay. What did you think of Sons of Elvis Glodine? Well, I remember. Listening to the album, I remember the song from Aldehyde, and I can only assume that it was because Cleveland Radio must have played the hell out of it. I can't imagine why else I would know that, that song, but I know it really well. I didn't know I was going to know it until I played the album, and definitely was familiar. It also happens to be the best song on the album. Or, yeah, for sure. The rest of the album is completely, for me, ruined by one person. Guess who that would be? Who in the band wow. is ruining the album for me? How well do you wow. know me, Tim? It's got to be the guitar player. No. No? The drummer. Oh. oh my lord. Tell me why. I want to choke him. He, <laughs> if you like slappy drums, this is your album. I mean, literally the dude plays this beat the entire album. There are more <laughs> snare beats in every song in this album that anything ever recorded. It's like he's uh, there's a contest and he's trying to fi- see how many snare beats he can get in <laughs> per song. Not only is, this, is the snare just slapping constantly and is the drum sound horrible, but the parts are just the most obvious drum parts ever. It's like there's one guy in the band, the bass player is really talented. He's like the highlight of the band. In a lot of cases, he's carrying the songs. And the guitar player's not bad. There's some moments in, on the album where he has some cool riffs and stuff. But the drummer is just like, well, the bass part goes, so that's what I'm going to play too. And then the singer comes in, he's like, well, I'm going to sing a melody that sounds exactly like that. <laughs> and it's like everybody in the band is playing uh, the exact same rhythm. There's like no nothing unexpected. There's no texture. There's no variety. You know, you sort of get into the album and by, you get to Formaldehyde, which I think is track three. The thing that's weird about that song is it it has all those things. It has variety. It has an acoustic guitar mixed in. It's got different... The tempo's different. It's, you know, sort of a little bit more, I guess, I don't, it's not slow, but more closer to mid-tempo, I suppose. just moves right back into this sort of fast 
just slappy snare. You know, guitar parts at points sound to me like extreme. Like you remember? I don't know if you're familiar with the band Extreme. Like leftover yeah, you know, extreme riffs or something. You're just like, uh-huh. oh my lord. Uh, there's a couple moments. Uh, there's a song called oh, let me find it here. These days, I think, where they yeah, slow gonna... th- they slow things down and they get heavy. They have a different guitar sound. The the song's slow enough to where the drummer can't play a thousand snare beats. <laughs> it's just physically impossible because the song's the song's too slow, and that starts to get interesting. And then actually, there's an instrumental thing at the end where I was like, the drummer doesn't play. <laughs> it's basically the bass player and the guitar player just the bass player is playing this you know crazy bass part super melodic and the guitar player just kind of noodles over top of it those are formaldehyde these days and that song are my my highlights on this album wow wow i am really shocked i thought this was going to go the complete opposite way oh no i don't even know where to start i definitely heard see the to me to me the formaldehyde is one of the weakest songs on the record oh come on it sounds like blind melon to me well there yeah there's definitely moments all over this album where they sound like blind melon well, um, to me, you know, here's the thing, and I don't know, I, you know, I might be completely off with the background of these guys, but it sounds like these guys at some point were in a metal band, because at least a guitar player, because there are riffs on this record that sound like they are off of a Faster Pussycat record or something. Like, they are, and I understand that the drums aren't played that way. I mean, they're not like thumping Tommy Lee style drums but there are yeah they're like they're like this (laughs) I I wrote down every song I I, every time the song started to sound like late 80s metal I wrote down metal-ish on on my little sheet and I must have wrote that down half a dozen times because you could have pulled out whatever he was singing and thrown in you know, a, a screeching falsetto vocal. I would have loved that. <laughs> I would have loved the screeching falsetto vocal. Yeah. Instead, we got, like, the poor man's Shannon Hoon. Yeah, there's definitely... There's, like, an identity crisis with this album. Um, it wants to be heavy and rocking in in certain aspects. But the drummer won't allow playing. it. <laughs> but, the, but the drums and sometimes the vocals aren't aren't doing that. Um, even the, I mean, Reggie makes the scene is a really cool song, but it has issues with, like you said, the drums. And I, I mean, I, I'm not a drummer, so I didn't notice those issues as much. But I know that that drives you insane having played drums. <laughs> well, it's just when um, the when the song starts off like, and then drums come in and they play, you're just like, oh, shoot me. Like, really? That's the best you can come up with? I mean, to me, it's, you know, the bass parts and the guitar parts, like, you can play stuff like that, but when if the drummer comes in and he does something a little bit, sort of picking up on some of those accents that are a little bit different and sort of takes it somewhere where you don't expect, that's when you have something special. And this just, this guy's just like, well, that's what it is. I'll just play that. And he just slaps along. And you're just like, oh, this is so boring. And then the singer, at times... While he has a good voice, 
you know, he just sings right along with that same melody. So everybody's yeah. just playing the same melody. There's no like crisscrossing or building on anything or sort of, you know, playing off of each other. It's just like everybody just played the same part. And basically it all comes out of the bass player. It kind of makes me wonder if, you know, the bass player went on and did something because, you know, he's obviously talented and he's carrying kind of the whole band. I mean, there's parts where he's playing all the melody and shit, the last song on the album is him playing by himself and you don't miss anybody. Yeah, I kind of felt like this was a lesser version of Candlebox. Not that Candlebox was the greatest band. Oh my god, you know, Candlebox is a thousand times better than this. <laughs> but you know what I mean in terms of like a riff rock oriented alternative rock band from the 90s. Yeah, like, yeah. They, were, they weren't really, I mean even saying they were alternative, they were just a rock band. And they got lumped in with the alternative grunge, whatever you want to you know, classify them with. Well, I think... I, to that point, you mentioned um, Blind Melon. I think bands like Blind Melon and Red Hot Chili Peppers, who both of those bands I think are super overrated, have during that time period, they did like a, they opened the door to some of these bands that had sort of classic rock sensibilities to them, but just, they just weren't good bands. And it sort of made it okay to, like, those bands got signed. So, like, when I listen to this album, tell me if I'm wrong, but this sounds like a local band to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, Maybe you're it's because right. they're from Cleveland or something, but I just listen to it and I'm like, how in the world does this band get signed? Like, there's a million bands that sound like this. Like, especially in the 90s. Like, shit, I was in a band that sounded like this. <laughs> like, that's one of the reasons why I probably hate it. Because it reminds me of, like, you know, one of the early bands I was in after high school. You know, this is the kind of crap we were trying to do. Like, sort of like funk rhythm with rock mixed in I mean it's like Blind Melon and Red Hot Chili Peppers you know they're yeah, sort of I, the same I, kind I, of shit Blind Melon was overrated Red Hot Chili Peppers in retrospect are have been destroying music they have been carving a, a path of destruction um, that has rained upon us through awful bands like Corn and Limp Bizkit and someday their uh, reckoning will come <laughs> We can only hope, and they will be wiped from the earth in a in a purge. Because even though I, 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 you know, at one point I owned, you know, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, because I got it from Columbia House or BMG or whatever. Really, going back, I mean, those albums. There's I, I there's mean, only one reason to own that album, Rick Rubin. Yeah. Basically, if you want to listen to just the production of it and sonically, uh, uh, you know, interesting sounds. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I can understand that, but from a songwriting, I mean, the dude can't sing, and like that, that funk guitar crap, and I don't know, it's a whole other show. But that's the kind of stuff that, like, to me, justified why a band like this gets signed. Which, in the end, to, you know, I don't think they're any better than all, you know, a thousand other garage bands out there. But because they could sort of be rationalized be like oh these guys sound like blind melon and they're really hot right now and they sort of sound like red house chili peppers well those two bands blow <laughs> so sounding more <laughs> bands that sound like them is a bad idea and you can see by the, the labels they were on and what they went through how that all worked out all I mean, right well i think we're kind of in agreement that this is kind of a elvis would have hated this I mean, they're consultants yeah. <laughs> elvis, elvis would have hated them there are some interesting moments um, especially from the guitar player and the bass player, but um, and the lead singer—I I say the lead singer is adequate. 
Um, he's not doing anything that anybody else wasn't doing. He's got a good um, voice. If somebody else, yeah, I think, would yeah. have wrote songs and, you know, a chorus, <laughs> he would have been fine. But uh, the songwriting's just not there. I mean, at the end of the day, like, okay, you can get, if you, you probably didn't, you say you didn't notice the drums and you maybe not pick up on the, you know, the 80s guitar riffs and, and not in a good way. But uh, at the end of the day, it's just, they don't have the songs. And, you know, I think, like I said, I think Formaldehyde was a hit for a reason. It was one of the few songs on here that actually had a little bit of a hook and some some structure to it. The rest of it is just like, it just sounds like guys in, in a room, you know, screwing around, learning how to play. Yeah, I guess I, I, I might have liked it a little bit more. I liked these days, the track eight, which you mentioned with the, the bass intro. Um, I liked Junkie Mom, <laughs> which was funny because it sounded like a Circus of Power song or something with that title you know some of the i guess if you're gonna listen to this record listen to it for the guitar and the bass and, and what the vocalist is doing but you're right in terms of the overall songs they're not 100 percent there it would have been nice to if this had been like the indie release and then they had put out another record after this that was much more refined with a different drummer you know <laughs> yeah who knows so yep, yep. I think that's it for Sons of Elvis. Sorry for the person who recommended this. We just we probably have one fan of this podcast, and we just tore them down. All right, so that's <laughs> it for us. We're out. Another episode in the books. Thanks to Spine of Teeth for suggesting this album. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. the dig me out podcast at digmeoutpodcast.blogspot.com join our facebook page or follow us on twitter at digmeoutpodcast podcast